Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hello, my name is Atara Cohen, and I'm a rabbinical student at Yeshivat Maharat. I'm excited to be making this journey through Mishnayot with you as I try to finish Shas Mishnayot myself. I started learning Mishnah from the beginning of this year in the hopes of finishing by the time I am ordained in two years. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're going to look at Masechet Tarot, which confusingly has the same name as the order of Mishnah we're in. Like the other tractates in the order of Tarot, this tractate deals with purity and impurity. Here, primarily with the laws surrounding the impurity and purity of food. The name taharot, or things that are pure, is actually a euphemism, because really the entire tractate is about how various foods and household items become impure, or tame. It could be broken up into three rough sections. The first is about the impurity of various foods and liquids. The second is about what happens when we're uncertain if something is pure or impure. And the third is about how to interact with people who we don't trust to be ritually pure. When I was an undergrad, I was sure I was going to be a doctor. I took most of the pre-med requirements and even enjoyed some of them. I found my true calling in the rabbinate, but I'm still a science geek. I've become a little bit of a nerd for the physics of Tuma, or impurity, so I was particularly looking forward to learning this tractate. What do I mean by Tuma physics? Well, the purity system is a little like learning the new laws of nature. Impurity flows from one object or person to another according to very specific rules. For example, liquid impurities spread impurity more strongly than solid impurities. This makes sense. Liquids spill around and touch everything, whereas solid things stay in place. Certain liquids also enable foods to become impure when they would not otherwise. For example, olive oil is one of these liquids. We learn in the ninth chapter of this tractate that olives will only begin to become impure once they exude oil. What's even cooler is this works in the reverse when we purify things. For example, take a look at the eighth chapter at the ninth Mishnah. Usually, to purify impure objects or people, you have to stick the whole thing in a mikvah or ritual bath. Every bit of the object or person must touch the water. However, that may not be the case if the thing is wet. If you have a stick that's soaked with an impure liquid, some argue that if you just stick one end of the stick in a purifying body of water, even if you don't immerse the whole thing, then the stick becomes pure. The liquid on the surface of the stick is understood to be one unit, so when one end becomes purified, the whole stick does. I think this is awesome and wild. Another awesome example of Tuma physics is that it's not just about the physical world. Intent matters. Food can only become impure if I actually think of them as foods to feed people. My opinion actually changes reality. To be fair, the physics of impurity may not always be fascinating. And to be honest, I was a little daunted when I began to study Tarot. The first Mishnah is about the purity laws regarding eating chicken corpses, and as a vegetarian, I was a little put off. However, as I imagined living in a time and place when ritual purity was a live issue, I became excited. Well, anxious, really. 
the world is not just full of physical dangers and inconveniences, but it is also full of ritual dangers. Though purity and impurity are not moral states, they are major inconveniences, and being in the wrong state at the wrong time could be a life or death issue. In this world of purity and impurity, if someone breaks into my house, I am not only concerned about the safety of the people and things in that house, but I'm also concerned that the intruder made the stuff in my house impure. If I take public transportation, I would need to be careful not to bump into people, lest they are impure and I touch them. If I drop my hat in the street and lose sight of it for one minute, I am suddenly concerned that someone impure may have stepped on it. Our modern world is chaotic enough. Imagine a world with the added chaos of impurity. Perhaps the most difficult part of the chaos of the impure world is not knowing when something is pure or impure. If someone broke into my house, they might have made my china impure, but I can't know. If I drop my hat in the street, someone impure might have stepped on it, but I can't be sure. My impure olive oil might have spilled, or maybe it was my pure olive oil. The second section of the tractate, the section dealing with suffix or uncertainty, helps quell some of this anxiety by giving clear rules for unclear situations. These rules are not always lenient, but they add certainty and therefore peace of mind. For example, if there is a suffix that something is impure in a public domain, and we don't know what actually happened, it is generally legally pure, regardless of what actually happened. On the flip side, if there is a suffix that something is impure in a private domain, then it is generally impure regardless of whether it was really pure, because we can't know. Our laws shape reality. Another fascinating rule is that things are generally in the state we found them in. I don't need to ask myself what if questions. I just need to look at the facts in front of me. This section about Suffolk is really exciting to me as I am the aforementioned Tuma physics nerd. One of my favorite Mishnayot in the Masechet is chapter five, Mishnah three. It's a little complicated, but we can do this. Just as some background information, truma is a category of food that must be eaten in a state of purity. If the truma becomes impure, I need to burn it. If I don't know if it's pure or impure, I can't eat it or get rid of it. It just hangs in an uncertainty. Here's the case. There's one path that's pure and one path that's impure, but I don't know which is which. I walk down one path, not knowing if it's the pure or impure path. Because it's an uncertainty in the public domain, we assume I'm pure, and I can eat all my truma. Here's the funky part. The next day, I plan to go that way again, so I purify myself just in case. I come to the same two paths, and I decide to take the second one. Perhaps it's the road less traveled. As long as I have no leftovers of truma from yesterday, I can eat new truma tonight. That's right, even though one of the paths definitely rendered me impure, as long as there are no leftovers and I purify myself in between, I am considered pure each time I walk down either path. Here it gets even funkier. If I do have truma leftovers though, and I walk down both paths, these leftovers need to hang in uncertainty forever. This is because even though neither path on its own can render me impure, if I go down both, it means I must have been impure at one point. I can't burn my truma because it might have been pure, but I can't eat it because it might have been impure. It just hangs in limbo. So, 
If I walk down one path, I'm pure, regardless of what the path actually is. If I walk down the second path, I'm pure. The only time I'm impure is if I walk down both paths without purifying myself in between, because one of them must have been impure. Because we don't know what actually happened, the reality is shaped by the rules. I am, in fact, pure, even though it might have been the impure path. This makes me really excited, both because it was cool, but also because it helps give certainty in this chaotic world. These principles of uncertainty play out in super interesting ways when it comes to believing people about their purity status. Generally, in almost all other realms of Jewish law, we rely on witnesses. However, when it comes to purity and impurity, we rely on people, even if they are not valid witnesses, and sometimes even if their account goes against the witness accounts. We believe women, who are generally not eligible to be witnesses, to say that they are pure or impure. According to the majority opinion, if two witnesses, who usually would be trusted above anyone else in court, say that someone is impure, and the individual says he is pure, then he actually is pure. Unlike other areas of Jewish law, individuals are reliable to tell their own stories, and this makes their testimony true. Period. If we rule that something is pure, it is actually pure. The rabbinic constructs of uncertainty are actually similar to how electrons work. Here my five semesters of chemistry in college are coming out. Bear with me here. Just as a refresher, atoms are made of three particles. Protons, which have mass and a positive charge, neutrons, which have mass and no charge, and electrons, which have no mass and negative charge. We don't know where electrons are at any given moment. In fact, electrons and other subatomic particles are defined by uncertainty. The famous Heisenberg's uncertainty principle states that the more we know about how fast an electron is going, the less we know about where it is, and vice versa. The more we know about where an electron is, the less we know about how fast it's going. This isn't because we don't have sophisticated enough technology. This is because electrons have inherent uncertainty. Electrons are nature's suffix, and our inquiry into their nature shapes reality. When we study how fast they are, they don't have a place, and we study where they are, they don't have a speed. Just like electrons, much of lived experience of purity law is inherently uncertain. However, with certain rules and principles, we can find out enough about them to work with them. We may not know what actually happened, but the legal ruling makes it true. We may not be able to know everything about electrons at all times, but our inquiry actually changes the way they are. Purity laws are conceptually fascinating. The way we frame certainty and uncertainty and the ways we trust others actually shape the legal reality. Seda Tarot isn't easy, and neither is Masecha Tarot, but they can be fascinatingly fun. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.